Good morning, everyone. The Landlord Lingo Buster. Now, this is part one. It's a two-part um, show and vlog that we have, and it's uh, setting up your tenancy right and the way to keep your property legal. Um, so, a lot of good topics to cover this morning, Jim. Um, yep. We're live on TikTok and Instagram. And Good morning to our viewers on TikTok. Good morning to our viewers on Instagram. Uh, please feel free to answer. Ask all the questions you can. Um, just to exacerbate, you know, just to tell a bit more, uh, the Landlord Lingo Buster Part 1, this is set up your tenants in the right way and keep your property legal for the people because you can't get enough information on yeah. the intro for uh, TikTok and uh, uh, Instagram. So this is yeah. all about setting up your tenancy in the right way and keeping your property legal as a landlord, even as a letting agent, to be honest. So, so if you want to hear all about this, please feel free. Uh, Richard, yeah. it's over to you. So... The question is, do you know your ARLA from your elbow? Or how about the GSR from the TDS? If you don't, you're not alone. There's a lot of uh, landlords who, um, just like everybody else in the industry, the lettings world, it has become particularly um, a lingo to master, really, um, with plenty of phrases, abbreviations, uh, and rules to keep you in your head. Uh, and it's quite, it's quite difficult to keep up. I mean, if you're a letting agent and you do it day in, day out, then it becomes a lot more of a habit and, and a way of doing things. A landlord who's self-managing things just don't have the time to keep up with it all. Sporadic. Yeah. More sporadic being a landlord. Um, and that, that's the big problem. Yeah. Because a landlord, you, 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 it's not your priority, to be honest. If you've only got one or two properties, which most landlords have got, mm -hmm. you know, you maybe want to learn all about the legislation, but then when you go into all that in depth, when people tell me, oh, I just want to get involved and I want to know about everything, like, okay, is that really a good productive use of your time? Yeah. Is that time well spent? Would you not be better just letting a letting agent do it and go and taking your time and spending on something worth more worthwhile <laughs> with your life? Maybe focus on your family or focus yeah. a bit more on your career and make more money in your job and give that to people who really need it. That's my sort of mentality. It's like I, I, I've got it right down to the efficiency level where it's like I now monetize every single hour I've got and think to myself, do I really need to go away and do something like this and try and earn a hundred quid an hour, or should I just go and earn two or three thousand pounds an hour? Um, and what's the most productive thing? If I go and earn the two or three thousand an hour and then I give it to people that need it, that makes sense for me completely. Mm -hmm. I don't need it. Um, you know, there's only so much you can need. There's only so much you need, and the rest is just for show. Let's be honest about that. So, you know, give it to people that actually need it. Give it to organisations and charities that need it as well. So I always run with the mantra, Richard, and I'm going to get my wee platform here. If you can, you must. Yeah. If you've got the cap capability. This is all came from uh, Born Free, actually, from Shamwari, which is uh, a sanctuary they have for the Lions Rock, for the Lions and Tigers out in Africa. Mm -hmm. And the Born Free Foundation run it. Um, it was actually Tony, my daughter. It, it, she said, after being there for a month with them, says, I would love to just stay here and work for the rest of my life in the sanctuary with the lions and tigers and all the rest of it. And, and the leader said, so does everybody. <laughs> he says, we can get people like that 10 a penny. He says, Tony, what do you do? And she says, well, I'm studying and I've obviously I'm, I'm I've got my qualification to be a you know a trainee accountant. I've accountant, got a degree yeah. in accountancy. Um, and he said, well, to be honest, Tony, the best thing you could do for us is actually go on to be a professional qualified accountant. Earn as much money as you can, and the money you don't need, give it to us to help us. 
because that's the thing we lack the most. We can get anybody to help out in the sanctuary, and everybody does want to help out. But this it's is where fundamental keep things going. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I, I have this wee mantra in my head all the time: you can, if you can, you must. And and even not even 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 not for you, for someone else. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Richard, I digress. No, no, you're fine. You're totally fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, but back on topic, um, and I think I totally agree with what you were saying to begin with there, Jim. Um, as a letting agent, I think I appreciate the time and effort and the resource that goes into keeping up to date with things. Um, I, I do that as a job. And I yeah. think if you're a landlord on your own, you're just creating yourself another job uh, entirely, trying to keep up with that. So, oh, God, yeah, I think that it's wise it. to get somebody to do that. Yeah. Being there and done it and, and lying lying down to go to sleep in one of your rental properties at three o'clock in the morning because <laughs> you've just you're exhausted with trying to clean it with a pan and brush because you can't put the hoover on because everybody else is there and you've got the tenant moving in the next day because that's what you'd agreed with them and this is now this is now the critical path. So yeah. having to lie down on the floor, because there's nothing else there, by the way, it's just carpets and curtains and decoration. You're lying down on a solid or hard floor. You're just going to sleep for about two or three hours. You wake up, you go home, you get you get changed, you get washed and dressed, you go straight to your work after that, you come back, you've got all the paperwork ready for the tenant to move in, and then guess what? You do it all over again. And yeah. that's literally the point I'd got to before I retired. Yeah. Yeah, and I think from from staying on like the right side of the law, protecting your property um, and keeping your tenants safe, uh, there's a lot to know as a landlord. Uh, and there's pre plenty of responsibility that goes with that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, while a lot of you will probably be familiar with things like maybe Arla and Sal and LAS, uh, Arla's like the Association of Residential Letting Agents, Sal's the Scottish Association of Landlords, Landlord Creation Scotland. Um, we've put together a two-part blog. So this, as I say, this is part one, so we'll do the second part um, in the next letting show. Um, uh, with all you need to know about um, lettings jargon, and this week uh, is about starting on the right foot and how to set up your tenancy right and keep your property legal. Um, and we're going to kick off with just general lens terms to know. Um, and knowing the jargon is an essential part of being a landlord. Uh, and there are some general terms you'll come across quite regularly. Um, and I think just in, in general terms, like we say, lens. I mean, we'll start like fixtures and fittings, Jim. Like people are like, what is fixtures and fittings? People say, I get this quite a lot if it's unfurnished. Like, oh, I don't have any fixtures and fittings. Well, you do. Uh, fixtures and fittings is a term um, for items you supply in a rental property, even if it is unfurnished. And that includes maybe curtains or blinds, floor coverings, um, your light fittings, and of course your kitchen units. Um, and if you do any appliances, appliances in the kitchen and things as well. Um, so it's always... Mm -hmm. um, it's always um, good to keep in mind that just because your property is unfurnished, you do yeah. still have yeah. um, a lot of fixtures and fittings. There. Incidentally, though, uh, <laughs> fixtures and fittings are actually mostly covered by your buildings insurance. So a lot of people don't realise that, but actually fixed fixtures and fittings, they're all yep. covered under your building insurance. So often when you're doing unfurnished properties, you actually don't need unfurnished uh, insurance. And a lot of people actually think they should get that because they've got to cover things like their bathroom, their kitchen, uh, maybe the integrated appliances in their kitchen, um, maybe the, even the floor coverings. But sometimes mm -hmm. the floor coverings, um, the curtains, uh, even the garden uh, they've got to trample over to get in there if there's a fire with a fire brigade can all be covered um, under most buildings insurance policies, the actual building and not the contents. So sometimes you're actually getting contents and you're not even needing it at all. So just check that out. It's, it's just one that popped into my head and I thought, that's actually a money-saving um, uh, one. 
for, for yeah. you to do. Now, if you've got 10 properties and it maybe needs it maybe is an extra 50 quid a year, then there's 500 quid that you could use for something else. Go towards something else. Go towards the bathroom you wanted to do. Go towards the kitchen you wanted to do. The, the double glazing that I'm doing right now. I mean, you know I'm doing one now and just yeah. ripping it to bits, double glazing. And then I contacted Karen yesterday and I says, look, you know, we're doing the double glazing, we're doing the kitchen, we're doing the bathroom. We've been as well doing the heating system because I know it's an old bar boiler, so just change the heating system as well and carpets and curtains and decorate. Um, and so it'll be mint once I'm finished. Yeah, yeah she said that to me yesterday. So she's on the case. investment, again. but it's an investment in the future of the stock. And also, and I'll call it out, a shelter says, bad housing wrecks lives. Yeah. They got a shock when I stood up and said that in one of their conferences. They went, because <laughs> <laughs> they were like, what? He agrees with us. I'm just going to say you agree with What do you think private landlords are different people? Do you not think we actually think, do you think we actually think getting different than everybody else? Of course we don't. Sometimes we look at it like that. Bad housing, of course, bad housing makes lives. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a good example for that one as well. Um, now, just as we go through this today, there's I'm going to do a lot of comparisons with like England and Wales and Scotland. Um, it's a good comparison. Um, and it'll make you realise that Scottish legislation and law is a lot different for England and we've actually got quite a lot more in place. Um, but the next thing I was going to say, like holding deposits is quite a common thing in England. Mm -hmm. um, they could take up to one week's rent from a prospective tenant to reserve the property as they take references and things. And this must be returned through um, the rent or the security deposit at the start of the tenancy or refunded if the tenancy doesn't proceed. Now, we don't do that here in Scotland. Um, Jim, you and I were just talking off screen that there may be a way to do that through the deposit scheme. Um, Tenancy Deposit Scotland, which is one of the custodial schemes, which a lot of people actually don't use, which is part of my deposits yeah. um, down in down south, um, part of run by Hamilton Fraser. Mm -hmm. um, so Hamilton Fraser actually have my deposits down south. I think they've got Tenancy Deposit Scotland or possibly just my deposit Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what they do is an insurance back deposit scheme. In other words, um, uh, you don't, or it's something like nobody holds the actual deposit. The 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 or the the owner, the the landlord or the letting agent holds the deposit, but it's insurance backed. So if anything yeah. happens with the landlord, the tenant gets the money anyway. So they pay a smaller amount. There's some. I mean, I'm, I'm I've never been a big fan of it. Yeah, we like, we don't use that. Put your I deposit mean... in. Let's put it in the custodial scheme. When it comes to the end, there's no arguments here. Let the custodial scheme decide. But. As you've said before, you have to put belts and braces on this to make sure that you've got everything in place to actually prove. Because this is effectively a court of law when you come to the end of the tenancy deposit oh, yeah. scheme, where you go and the, the, the case of either part of disputes, it goes in front of a, a, an adjudication panel um, of professionals, you know, probably ex solicitors. Uh, you have John yeah, Black, which are appointed adjudicators, landlords, and people from professional backgrounds who, who actually adjudicate where the deposit should go back to or if it should be split or, or you know whatever um just like just more or less like a court of law would do so unless you've got the evidence to present a clear cut the independent independent evidence by the way not just your what you think um oh it was blue when we moved in prove it where's your independent report to say it was blue the wallpaper when you moved in or red or or, or burgundy or whatever because that's a, a, a case that um uh, tc young was caught out on were a landlord years and years ago, and that's the one I always remember. Oh, and the brand new that, one. Yeah. yeah, I mean a brand new property, and and it was all it was all magnolia, the whole lot. 
And within three months, the tenant decided they're moving out, or six months, because it was six months short of tenants, they decided to move out, all the walls were pink. And then the guy went, I'm not giving you a deposit back. They took them to the small claims court and says, I'm getting my deposit back. And the small claims court went, well, prove it. Okay. Um, we've got no, we've got, we've got no independent report. It was like that when we got it. But prove it. You can't. You couldn't prove it. So basically what happened is the deposit was returned. You know, he had to give the tenant the deposit. That was it. Clear cut. Yeah. All, because, that's why, all because they didn't minimise the risk. And that's why the deposit schemes and things were brought into place. And and they, they, they serve a really important purpose um, at the beginning of tenancy and obviously at the end. Harsh, and that brings but, us in. Harsh but fair. Yeah. And we know that because we've yeah. been falling foul of that as well. It's yeah. a classic example of you've used your carpet. If you've had a carpet and you put it in five years ago, uh, and the tenant burns the carpet, it's unlikely you're going to get anything towards the carpet at all because their assumption is carpets will wear in five years. So yeah. wear and tear, minus from there, and then what proportion of the carpet did you burn? You're, basically, yeah. you're getting 20 pence or 50 pence back. That's <laughs> it. That's how they look at it. That's their, that's their, that's their rules. And I, and I can't disagree with them. It's kind of like a higher car. You know, yeah, if you yeah. scratch the hire card, they, they charge you 50 quid for the wee tiny scratch. They'll not say, we've got to get the whole lot sprayed again, because you're like, that's unfair. So why should it be any different for the way the deposit schemes run? Yeah, I do I do stand by it as a, as a fair system. Um, yeah. But what you what you talk about there brought us on to the next topic, obviously, is what inventories. Uh, inventories, condition reports, like you say, Jim, are important to be carried out. Um, they aren't mandatory, but I mean, always recommend to have one to safeguard you in the situation of a deposit claim. Yeah. Uh, an inventory yeah. is a report of the contents and condition of your report uh, property at the point of the tenant moving in. Now, these mm. need to be done the day before or at very latest, maybe two days before. Don't do it any, any further back than that because it'll be open for, um, it'll be open for obviously um, contest at the end because of the time difference. Um, and um, it's essential in winning disputes if you're unhappy with how the property has been returned to you when the tenancy ends. You need that evidence to prove what the property was like in the first instance. The tenant agreed to that. And then obviously you need to do that check at the end to show the, the difference in whether it's wear and tear or whether it's actual damage. Um, so a really important part of the tenancy and inventory serves a really important purpose. Um, although, like I say, they aren't mandatory and some people It'll be, oh, I don't need an inventory, it's unfurnished. Yes, you do, because they just said your property is still fully fixtures and fittings um, and a lot of expensive stuff that could be damaged. Um, so that's one to bear in mind, I think, definitely. The next point is a joint um, and a several liability. Um, so and if you have more than one tenant, they share responsibilities uh, for the property and paying the rent. So obviously we've had... Um, I mean, it's sharers are things that we typically do. We've got a couple of students and things that share, um, obviously two students because we don't do HMOs. Um, so if one of your tenants stops paying their bills um, or their share, then the others are responsible for making up the shortfall. Now, this is this falls into, um, I mean, this, this obviously falls into the lines of what England does and what we do slightly differently as well. Um, but sharers and things aren't something that we tend to go down the route of, Jim. We've, we've done it in the past. Uh, and you, you end up with your fingers burnt because one will one will end up leaving and then you've got one left um, who is responsible then for um, one's left that's the issue and you get it's great because you I've got to say you do get the single room rent if it's under the housing benefit universal credit rules and the single room rent 
for a for a bed set is 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 you know what is it? It's something like two 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 seventy two eighty. Is that or is it more now? Two eighty. No, it's more now. It's no, it's three. It's three hundred and a uh, wow. three hundred and two pounds something. I think you should start doing joint tennises for me. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, I'm about to say it one no, for you. It's three hundred and twenty quid. So if you've got you, if you've got a, a two bedroom property and you've got two sharers, maybe um, two people that want to share. Um, you've got 640 quid as a contribution towards the rent. Uh, and actually, it could help you upgrade the property quicker um, in terms of what you're doing. The difficulty is you're running two sets. You're, cost, you're charging two costs. Mm-hmm. And the cost to set up and the cost of the average time where a tenancy runs and ends probably makes it prohibitive in the first place and the hassle that happens in between. They do, they do fall out each other. And, and I have had it. I've had people who are uh, brother and sister falling out with each other and fighting like cat and dog. Yeah. Uh, for that very reason, they've both had an allowance. Uh, they've moved in. They've just no got on because they've they've kind of had their separate ways before. And it's it just I've tried it time and time again over the years. Try to convince myself everything. You think I would learn? Eh? Try to convince myself that it does work and you can make it work. But the reality is it just doesn't work. I mean, I've been caught with it before and it's like I say, it's not something that we generally do. Um, I've got one at the moment. They've been with us um, in another property for a long time. They're actually, they're older, uh, they're brothers. They've lived together for a long time. Um, and the landlord's selling. Some don't. But it's very, very rare that it could anyway happen, the, the joint yeah. several liability thing. And prohibited payments, permitted and prohibited payments. I mean, the Tenancy Fees Act 2018 yeah. obviously makes it illegal down in England to charge tenants references, credit checks. And for preparing for a tenancy agreement now, that was a huge hit to people yeah. like Foxton and that. But it's always been in Scotland for a lot of years, since the very beginning. It's been in, it's been in for about 20 or 30 years. And, the, and this has always been there. We've just... Uh, Probably it's only been highlighted that you shouldn't have been doing this. Maybe around about 2010 or thereabouts. Yeah, that's that right, because it was around about the time I started doing lens and it, and it come in and it's like, you shouldn't really be doing this. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was, and, and, it, and it is what it is. Um, but you are still allowed to, you are still allowed to charge a nominal fee yes. for admin, for, from a tenant. To be honest, it's not even worth it to, for the bother. The hassle factor and the the turbulence it causes when when you get up against this and people start arguing you saying that's not the case this is illegal and it's like well it's no and then try to explain the small print and why it is why it isn't it's it's more hassle than it's worth because the time you spent on trying to convince somebody who then says yes you've lost that time and if you're charging what to run a business it's about forty or fifty quid an hour uh, yeah. electricians are like charge you what, £100 an hour now, qualified electricians. Mm-hmm. So you can see how much that costs. So if you're arguing with somebody for an hour, you've lost that money and you're charging less than that for the nominal fee for the tenant. So it's not worth the bother. So it does make it illegal to charge for references, credit checks, preparing tenancy agreements. However, you can charge for lost keys, amendments to tenancy agreements after it started under the Tenancy Feeds Act. Security uh, deposits is another one. You can take up to five weeks rent. Uh, two months in Scotland, isn't it? Two months in Scotland. I mean, generally, we don't do as much as two months. I mean, sometimes we do like a month and a half, depending on circumstances, if there's a pet involved or something. Um, but two months plus a month up front sometimes is quite a lot. 
it's not something that I generally do, but you can you can request up to two months. Even the bone of contention for a lot of tenants out there about pets. Eh? The government yeah. just made it. The government's just like putting throwing grenades into everything. And and it's just like, oh no, if you've got a pet, you should have the entitlement to have your pet in your property, regardless of what the landlord says. They should have no choice in that. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm spending a hundred thousand pounds to give you a property at a hundred thousand pounds. And you're greeting to me about a, an extra deposit of maybe £400 for your pet. Yeah. Or the fact is, I, I, you know, why have I not got the right to refuse someone who I think their pet will damage my property? I mean, that, it's, I mean that's a crazy one, eh? To say yeah, that, oh, I mean, that's all right then. Oh, but you've got repercussion through the court. If this person is a man of straw or a woman of straw, as they say in law, in other words, they've got no funds or no money, and they're maybe on universal credit, you've got no recourse against them in a court. They've got no money. To go after pay, them, but, unmanaged properly. And this is where this is where it comes on the vulnerable. They're putting legislation in place to do things like this, and everybody's going, "Oh, rah rah, it's great, tenants' laws." It's like the vulnerable suffer as a result of it, because it's the vulnerable that can't afford it, or the, the the person of straw it has no recourse against that. They then don't reference up properly because they don't have the credit worthiness to do that or, or accommodate that at the end. Therefore, the landlord doesn't take them. Yeah. So it's the vulnerable that suffer because of the legislation from the government. The Scottish government, I, I might add. Yeah, not Oh, by the way, join the Scottish Association of Landlords. Mm -hmm. I've, put the, I've put the join in, uh, link in this post. Uh, I make no money from this, by the way. There's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no kickback, just, uh, just about transparency here. I do think this is all about safety in numbers. We need uh, some sort of union to represent us as private landlords to stand up against our government who's completely draconian towards our the, what we do. They have no idea what we do, actually. I wish they'd spend some time with me for a change and really see what it's like to be a private landlord and care about the people that have actually got a roof over their head from you. I think that's, that's the most important thing they should yeah. understand and live from day to day and understand that. There's too many career politicians out there that just want to make a name for themselves. And they just throw grenades in all the time, thinking this is going to be, yeah, I'm going to be popular because of this. And I'm going to get voted in because of this. Aye. But the repercussions that you're doing on the most vulnerable people in our society are are, are, are immense. Anyway, yeah. that's my bit. No, no, you're fine. And Sal, Sal as well, Jim, has a really good source of information and things for landlords. Yeah. Um, to keep up to date so i mean it's a good it's a good source of info and yeah join that for um obviously um being part of that bigger um part of the rental sector like you say jim um yeah tenancy deposit schemes as well as we already touched on um the mandatory government schemes uh, requires landlords um to register and protect any security deposit like say if it's a month if it's two months whatever um, with the deposit for the duration of the tenancy um, and any deposits that they receive. And that needs to be uh, lodged within a, uh, within uh, the 90 days of the um, first start date of the tenancy, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as with any, any profession, profession having... any profession though, when you think about it, having to handle on the vocabulary will help you sound a, like a real professional and meet your obligations to run a successful business. Can I cover the next one about preparing tenancy agreements? And you could just jump in, yeah? Yeah. A legal enforceable tenancy agreement is not only essential to give you the full protection of the law, for what we've got of it, <laughs> it, will also, it will also be a condition of the rent protection insurance or, or a buy-to-let mortgage. It's essential that you put that in place because it is a condition of these things. Yeah. Um, here's some common tenancy 
terminology for England, Scotland and Wales. Pretty universal today. No, just concentrating on Fife. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important thought to see the difference between... Yeah, assured, assured short hold tenancies are a standard type of tenancy agreement in England and Wales um, with a guaranteed right for the landlord to regain possession at the end of the tenancy agreement. This is the this is the no-fault eviction, which we used to have in Scotland, which was actually yeah. removed. Now, no-fault eviction, I've got to say, was a was a good thing to a degree because it didn't it, it 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 was it was it wasn't confrontational when you did this. The difficulty with the current system we've got just now, the PRT in Scotland, the private residential tenancy agreement, is you've got to find a ground to actually serve the notice on. And while we all have good reasons, sometimes the ground that you want to serve the notice on is not the ground you really want to talk about with the tenant. And I mean like antisocial behaviour. Or or the you know they're damaging your property. Uh, that's the sort of things you want to you, you want to avoid because then if you say antisocial behaviour, then they're arguing with you and they're almost in a fight with you, which which proves straight away it's antisocial behaviour. <laughs> yeah. um, that's the difficulty out there, I would say. So the, the social tenancy was brilliant. It lasted for six months. It lasts for six months. It runs on uh, periodically thereafter. Or you can open it up so it runs on permanently thereafter. You can give two months notice either side of that. Uh, but you have to you have to serve the proper notices. Uh, the break the break clause typically um, assured shorthold tenancies of a year or more. A break clause allows the landlords to end the tenancy contract from an agreed point before the initial term ends by giving usually the two months notice. Has to be done properly though, doesn't it? Has to be an eighty five or a section whatever it is now down south. The non housing act tenancy. This is another one. Residential tenancies which don't meet the criteria of the Housing Act 1988 are known as non-housing act tenancies. Examples include company lets or renting rooms to lodgers. There's also another one, the periodic tenancy in England and Wales. It's a assured shorthold tenancy automatically becomes a periodic tenancy if it runs beyond the original term, which is what I talked about. Now, under Scottish law, it used to be tacit, real, uh, tacit relocation. Tacit relocation yeah. It just runs on. There's the private residential tenancy, which is in Scotland, the PRT, it's, it's shortened to. Now, you can get a standard PRT from the Scottish Association of Landlords, so you can download it, or you can get it from the Scottish Government, and then what you do is you just you keep it as it is in the body, because that's the minimum you need to have in it, and then you can add the conditions in of the contractual agreement, uh, although it doesn't stand up when it comes to giving notice or anything like that. It, it, it just gives you a contractual agreement, for example, one of them is you can use the rent as you could use the deposit as a rent, can't you? Mm -hmm. Now that's not in the PRT, is it? You could add that in though, and if you add it into your tenancy agreement, the end at the end of the tenancy, if you've not got it added in, by the way, and you have the deposit and you've got rent outstanding, if you if you then apply to the the uh, tribunal, tribunal yeah. ask for it back as as part of the rent, the tribunal will say, well, it's not in your tenancy agreement, so we can't do that by law. If it is in your agreement, you can offset it. Yes, if it is in your tenancy agreement, you can offset it against the rent, the deposit. If there's no damage, by the way, you, then then that's perfectly legal to do that because it's in the tenancy agreement. So that's probably one of the things, the, the top tips I would give for you, the PRT. And that came in in December 2017. They're open-ended, the last until the tenant wishes to leave. 
or the landlord gives one or more of the 18 grounds for eviction, which are becoming more and more discretionary now, rather than mandatory. It's almost getting to the point where it's like, you're supposed to give now, just now, you're supposed to, it has to be six months rent in arrears before you can actually do anything. But I believe it's now discretionary whether the actual tribunal decides whether you've got just grounds, even though it's six months in it. I mean, how on earth anybody can survive just with one or two properties and say, you've got six months rent in arrears, and then you've got to apply to the tribunal with a six months rent in arrears, and then that's going to take another three or four months. And then by the time it's heard, there's another six months down the line, you've got a tenant never paying rent for the whole year, which is like on average rent. Just on average rent in five is around about 500, 550 pounds. Yeah. So you're talking about your £6,000 out of pocket. You're still having to pay the insurance. You're still having to pay the repairs. You're still having to pay the mortgage if you've got it on it. And you're supposed to be able to survive like that. That's that's just not right at all. There's a complete imbalance in the legislation of how that happens, and yeah. that's what that's what needs to be that's what needs to be equalised again. That needs to be turned around. It was fair before. It was three months before. The grounds were a lot better. Um, it was a lot easier to take action if you needed to. And then that's when it could have been discretionary at that point. Yes. Discretionary then could have been left under the three months notice, and then the tribunal could have decided on a discretionary basis if you've got really just grounds to do it. If the person says, look, I'm paying my rent now from the three months onwards, and I've only ever been three months in arrears, and I'm now paying my rent, and I've shown a track record, the, 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 the housing panel could turn around and say, well, there's no grounds for eviction here, because if it's only on the three months arrears, and they've, you've compared, compared, man, carpent, 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 oh, I can't mind, <laughs> compartmentalised, that's it. Hey, I got there. The actual th the three months in arrears, and they're they're paying the rent from then on. As a commercial reality as well, why would you want to put them out then? Because they're still paying the rent every month thereafter. They've only three months in arrears. You put that person out after the three months or after the six months, and if they are still paying the rent, I can see the point of this. If they are still paying the rent every single month thereafter, then then you're going to put somebody out. You're going to probably have to wait for the void in between. And then you're going to have to wait to refurb the property because it's not going to be in the exact condition it was in before, which is going to leave you in the position. It's like, you're going to be worse off. Yeah. Oh, but I've got to get against it. No, but if the tenant couldn't afford it and it, there was a problem here, then maybe that is the case. I think should. the point is, if you get the tenant back on track and they're paying the rent again... That's what we do. Then yeah, I think it's best to work together and move forward rather yeah, than... absolutely. I've got some like that already. I've got some that have been with yeah. me for years, you know, in Glenrothes. Two of them in Glenrothes that have been with me for years. They're probably about six or seven months outstanding, maybe even a year outstanding in rent, possibly. It doesn't bother me. If they're paying their rent from then on, and it's the the the, the reason that it's because it's built up over the years, because they've been falling on hard times every now and again, and I'm like, well, that's okay with me. I'm fine with that. It's like, you're, it's difficult for you to sort yourself out, but you're back on track again. That's okay with me. I'm fine yeah. with that. Oh, that's, that, is, is, is that a caring landlord? Do these people exist? Of course they do. The majority of landlords, private landlords are like that. Um, every single time they'll take a decision. I, I'd said to someone the other day, it's the, being a private landlord is not for the faint-hearted. You have got to be prepared to give up your holiday, to give up your um, your new car to give up your house move potentially, and to take the hit yourself in order to in order to look after the tenant. It is a it is a legal responsibility and it's a duty. And you have a duty of care to them uh, to look after them while they're in that property. 
and and it's a moral duty as well, more than anything. So when when it comes to if the heating breaks down and the engineer turns around and says it, it, the heating system's obsolete now, we need to replace the whole thing, and it's going to cost you four thousand pounds, and you go, oh, I can't afford to do that. They'll just have to wait. Uh, however, I'm going to go on holiday. <laughs> it's like no, 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 no. Your holiday goes first. Your holiday gets taken. Your tenant gets looked after first. I'm, I'm meaning, and you you forgo your holiday. That's what being a private landlord is. Anyway, let's go into keeping your rental property illegal. Now, that, that was a good rundown of the differences in tenancies between obviously Scotland and England and things. And the PRT, like you say, Jim, does have um, the clauses in it that need to be uh, they're fixed, but you can add and edit certain ones. But um, the grounds are changing um, to discretionary now, so it's kind of open for yeah. um, interpretation on on whatever grounds you serve the notice on. But um, moving on to keeping your rental property legal. Uh, which is so important um, before you move any tenant in uh, to a rental property you need to meet specific health and safety standards to avoid hefty fines a criminal record and even imprisonment and and people maybe shrug that off and think now nah, that would never happen yes it can um, and some of the most important ones i'm going to cover just now uh, and i think the most important one is gas safety checks or gas safety check uh, uh, records uh, a gas safety check must be carried out on an annual basis by a registered um, gas engineer and it's gas safe now it's not corgi anymore it's gas safe um, registered yeah. and, and and that's on every rental property uh, and it must have the supporting document uh, and show that the property has passed and that the gas boiler and any other gas appliances have been checked uh, for that year uh, and that's the most a copy given to the tenant eh? a copy yes. given to the tenant before the before the leave yeah or from the letting agent after that Here's a, here's a newsflash for landlords out there. If your gas safety check isn't in place, and it's very, very rare this happens, and your tenant was to die in that property because of the heating system. This is for any landlord, even a social landlord. The landlord's going to jail. It's not the letting agent. Your letting agent doesn't have any, your letting agent can't be held, it won't be held accountable the law actually specifically says it's you as the landlord, it's your responsibility as the landlord. And so if your tenant dies in that property, this is called corporate manslaughter. Yep. And you are going to jail more than likely for, for, for corporate manslaughter. And equally as well, I don't understand why some of the housing association or the council um, uh, you know, heads, the Hedons, uh, have actually not gone or taken some accountability because it, it, the buck stops with them and it's their responsibility as well. And we know in social housing that that's actually happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you notice on the news how they all talk, they talk about landlords when they're supposed to be talking about social landlords? For the recent yeah. cases about the mould and stuff like that all the time. Everything on the BBC News, it's landlords. And I thought, excuse me. It's no, it's no, it's no private landlords. It's social landlords that are, are this problem. I've been in a lot of social landlords' houses over the years because I do that as a wee ready reckoner and walk around to see where that person's living. It comes to apply to us, and I tell you what, some of them are appalling. Some of them don't even have things that you're going to talk about right here in place. I've noticed that over the years. And yet, well. the, yeah, and yet they tell you how social they are and how they look after their tenants, and I'll guarantee you if I. Maybe we should do this as a show. Maybe we should actually visit people's social housing landlord properties and actually do proper investigations, almost like a dispatches 
you know, or like a, like, a, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. You know, like a panorama or something like that, and actually investigate social landlords and actually look at their stock and look at what how compliant these are with the law and what they're doing about their tenants in these properties and actually run a show like that. Wouldn't that be great? I would, I, I, this is this is a wee pet project for me when on retirement. Like, I'm 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 up for this. This is this is what this is maybe all leading to. All these thousands of hours I'm doing on, on channels like this. It's all leading to this combination of being a a, a, a Roger and um, you know Roger. God, I can't even mind Roger's name. I used to do all investigative series uh, years and years ago. And then um, what's it, Michael McIntyre? No, no, Michael McIntyre. But you know the boy I'm thinking about. Um, he's, he's he's Irish, and he does the investigative series as well. Um, maybe that's where I, maybe this is where is this is leading for me because I, <laughs> I I can't stand the fact that other people are getting castigated. You know, a group of private landlords are getting castigated in the whole of the country, in the whole of the UK, and you've got all these social landlords, uh, you know, thinking they're whiter than white and going. That's terrible. terrible. That's disgusting <laughs> behaviour. And it's like, holy shit, these people are more accountable than us. You're worse than us. And nobody sees this because the media doesn't want to portray this picture. Yeah. yeah anyway, totally. let's go on. Electrical safety standards. Yeah, so yeah, glass safety is a really important one. But uh, electrical safety, uh, rental homes in Scotland must have an electrical safety check by a registered engineer every five years. It's called an EICR, which is an Electrical Installation Condition Report. Uh, like I say, that's every five years, and that covers all your sockets and yeah. your RCD board, which is your consumer unit. You Thank you, here? Father of Wisdom on TikTok, Roger Cook. <laughs> Roger Cook. Well done, pal. <laughs> it's no Roger relation, Cook. by the way. Roger Cook. Roger Cook was my greatest inspiration, I've got to say. At 16 years old, I remember watching the Cook Report. And it was in London where they had the slum landlords at that time. Yeah, and the right, were, right. Some of them were really bad. Yeah. And he took them round these properties and he looked at these properties and investigated the series. And there was cockroaches running everywhere when you opened the cupboard in the kitchen and stuff like that. Oh, it was disgusting. But I tell you what I heard on that show that day when I looked at that. When I looked at these properties, they said, and what are you paying every, every month in rent? And they went, a thousand pounds. And I went, what? At 16 years old, I thought a thousand pounds for a property for yeah, a month for a month in London at that time. Now, even even a thousand pounds, see, that's quite high for about then. You're even, you're even that's even more, and this is in the 1980s. Yeah. And I'm thinking, good grief, I could do a better job than that. And it was only till about 10 years later that I thought, right, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do, do, do it that, right, and I'm going to I'm going to blaze a trail forward and have charter mark uh, landlords have have uh, approved landlords by the government and stuff like that. So this is why this is why well this is why kind of landlord accreditation all came about because I came together with Sal at that time with John Blackwood with Stephen Peasnell, and we were all individual units of uh, landlord associations and and formulated a way forward for landlords to to follow and and this is where it's all evolving. Unfortunately, we're trying to do this voluntarily where the government says, no, no, we're throwing a span on the works all the time with the legislation. That's the difficult we've got to face. Anyway. You know, things like that have obviously, that's just another seed and, and, and planted in your mind throughout your journey. If people follow the Wealth Creation Show, we're doing your property investment journey. And I've noticed throughout that that you, you say, and there's certain things that have planted the seed to, that, that have made you 
take the path which has got you down obviously property investing and being a landlord absolutely um, absolutely yeah. it's it's you know what i love being a bit being a, being a landlord um it's the it's the it's the moral obligation of looking after someone else i don't know what yeah. it is but it's just a fulfillment you get from that and, and helping someone else on their journey and helping someone else to the next stage if they need to be helped you can't help everybody you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped you know we've got a classic example recently of we're having to go through eviction with one of our tenants but we got her back on track and um, we got the rent arrears all sorted out and it was given to her unfortunately and she spent the law knowing full well that that money was meant to go to us to actually cover all our rent arrears from from an agency who's actually out there to support and help for her we got her all that help and support to keep her in a tenancy and lo and behold spent the law and we're a year down the road the, the the tribunal has accepted the fact that nah it's definitely definitely going I think, that, I think that's the case um there's no way they're ever going to turn around and say well she spent the lot deliberately deliberately she actually admitted that um and we are down there now think about other landlords that would have been in this position and i've got the great grace it doesn't affect my other stock therefore i'm still able to look after my other tenants for that reason whereas a landlord that has one or two properties would be goosed yeah, they wouldn't, be able to to they wouldn't have the money to do it mm -hmm. so that's why that's why it's important to make sure that you get all this right in the first place and you get the right referencing you get the right the right all the legislative requirements you cover as well this is why it's important to use a letting agent for god's yeah. sake and now no letting agent that starts up tomorrow and says oh i'm a letting agent it's like no no you've got to please do your due diligence for the right letting agent for god's sake make sure they've got a track record at this make sure they eat their own cooking yeah and i would be say as well if you and if you're hiring a letting agent don't be fair uh, to scared to spear them i mean ask them other questions and, and see if they've got the answers and if they yep. don't then you might be not got the right it's a agent. great phrase i learned from uh, keith cunningham rich rich dad poor dad he's rich dad keith cunningham yep. uh keith for the vault by the way if you want to look him up um a great lesson he says make sure you've got someone that eats their own cooking yeah and sticks to their knitting <laughs> in other words they do this day in day out that's why you have specialists that's why i really i'm the overall picture i get involved in like this richard but the day-to-day -day running the business now in the lettings division i've got no involvement in that anymore but i i wouldn't know where to start i am you know i was wanting to do let well again and i was originally one of the first qualified as a let well, let well but i can't afford the time to do that anymore and that's why you guys are doing it um I realise though the importance of doing this, and I do keep myself abreast yeah. on a on a on a on a summary scale of what the what the legal requirements are. So I understand it completely. Um, it's just that I don't go through all the rigmarole or having to sit the exams anymore. That's it's time consuming, and and like I say, yeah. it's my job. It's it's, it's a full time job. So let's um, go safety. Yeah, yeah, electrical safety. Something smoke that goes alarm. hand in hand with that is smoke alarms. Um, yep. The electrician will do that for you as well. Every rental property must have working smoke alarms um, on each floor and in every room. Uh, well, your main living area and each floor and heat detectors in your ki uh, kitchen area. Um, landlords must ensure that they provide confirmation of where the smoke alarms are and that they're all in working order. Your smoke alarms, they'll be valid for 10 years uh, if they're put in. Now, originally when the uh, electrical safety legislation in Scotland come in in 2017. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alarms that were put in then were all hardwired. Um, <laughs> we went through all that. So they'll still be valid at the moment, but new legislation says that now we could have the long life uh, lithium battery um, smoke alarms, which are interlinked. So you don't need all the wiring and things. 
which is good now for landlords, but yeah, the ones, yeah. that, the ones uh, that, that, that teaches that teaches me to wait until the legislation's properly in before you do anything. Because I've done it, I've gone and did all the hardwire, disrupted all the skirtings and facings and cornices and everything like that to get hardwired all the way through. Because that was the requirement. Now it's like well, I can put battery up as long as I'm into link ten year lithium sealed batteries. Yep. Hello, what? <laughs> I spent a fortune putting these in about five hundred or six hundred quid a house, and now you can do it for a couple of hundred quid. Same with the yeah, I mean, same with electrical boxes. You know, I put all the metal ones in. They went, no, no, I've changed their mind. You can change it back to composite. I had them all in, <laughs> and you you got me to change them at five or six hundred quid a pop. It was about thirty thousand pound. <laughs> the um the goalposts have changed quite a lot with electrical safety legislation um uh, even the wiring and things is all changed now as well but anyway uh, make sure you've got a good qualified select registered electrician to do that for you that's a ticking uh, time bomb when you think about it for landlords <laughs> is the electrical safety uh it's going to come round, guys if you've got your electrical safety certificate coming out soon you're gonna you're gonna have stringent stringent more stringent requirements uh, you're gonna have to do additional bonding you're going to have to do additional wiring that's just the standards upgraded now for electrical safety standards so five years ago you wouldn't you won't pass now so you will have to make sure you've got money aside for your properties to make sure that you can actually get the electrical safety standards through that brings us nicely onto the epcs though yeah epcs um an epc rate uh, for a property's performance is usually on a scale from a well it is on a scale from a to g uh, a being the best uh, rental homes must have a rating um, of at least an E. By 2025, we're going to be a minimum of a C for any new tenancies. Um, and existing tenancies will have to be a minimum of C by 2028. Yeah. Um, that's how it stands at the moment. Um, I don't see it changing, but that's how it I is. I think that can's going to get kicked down the road still. I don't, think we're, I, don't think, I don't think we're going to be in that position to, to still be in the, to there to do that. Most people will do it, though, as normal normal changeover because you could see me yourself i've got a boiler which is a bad boiler immediately i'm just saying look just change it now you know so I'm, I'm i'm feeding my maintenance program and i'm making sure my maintenance programs are a perpetual maintenance program it's ongoing all the time and um, so i don't get hit for this big massive hit when the epcs come in and say you've got to have a minimum requirement of efg or whatever it is and i'm like i'm only on b or you know wherever it is and I've got I've then got to look at all these properties and think I've got to spend at least five thousand pounds on every single one. That would then go, oh yeah, boy, that would be three hundred thousand. Multiply up. <laughs> I saw your face there when it's like when you said, Oh my god, three hundred thousand to hire you're not kidding. That's why you're, yeah, that's why I spend so much. That's why I'm spending. And investing, I'm not spending really, you're investing. That's why I'm investing a lot. This is this is all about this is why you make profit to reinvest back in the business. This is why I'm investing the profit I've made, the majority of profit I've made, and upgrading the stock to make sure we're compliant by the time it hits. And and over natural time, you will do that anyway. For example, when the boiler breaks, it's now obsolete. Well, just change it for a, a new condenser combi boiler. Uh, and that's fine and that's that taken care of your epc now goes up as a result of that so when it comes round to the minimum standards for epc you're like quids in i don't really need to do that much yeah i've heard whispers of the the minimal epc for a uh, c uh, 2025 being pushed to 2026 but i mean i don't know if that'll happen but like you say it'll get kicked down the road the car um, now 
I would say for the EPCs though, just to explain to everybody, the EPCs, if it show, if you can demonstrate it's prohibitive for you to upgrade to the C level when you're renting your property, then there is a dispensation in the legislation for that. And what I mean by that is it's the old cottages, the old farm cottages. Yeah. They're stone built. There's no way you can insulate them properly. Um, in terms of getting up to the EPC rating up, there's some places that you, you can only have propane or oil, which could be a big difference as well. Mm-hmm. And in order to get that up, you might have to put a ground source heat pump in, which is like £20,000. Yeah, a lot. And that's the example where it's in situations as the one-offs like that, where the legislation would say, look, you're at an EPCD. There's no way you can get to a C without a huge amount of spend. And it is prohibitive. So we'll, we'll give you a dispensation on that. In other words, a pass, uh, you know, a, a pass go, go through as you, as you go, basically. So there is, there is, there is information about that and you could talk to people about that if anybody wants to know about that Richard so just contact Richard if you can if you need more information contact Richard Richard's got an easy email address it's richard at fiveproperties.co.uk or richard.cook at fiveproperties.co.uk either or will come to me yeah either or will go to you anyway and if you look at the blog my contact details are in here as well for this show okay Uh, yeah EPC um, certificates are valid for 10 years once they're carried out Um, so I mean do it right at the, at the point of doing that. And if you could get it to a C, then you've got that for 10 years. Um, now, although this could all seem a bit boring and time consuming, remember that the law is there to protect everyone, including the landlord, not just the tenant. A safe property means less risk of uh, accidents and liabilities, while the energy efficient home will always be more popular and attract higher rents. Yeah. And that's all, that's really the case at the moment. The amount of tenants that look at um, energy efficiency rating when they're looking for a property is. Quite surprising now. So I'm going to say a quick TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. If you want to ask any questions later on, please feel free to ask them. If you want to ask questions and here as well, please feel free to ask questions and we could answer all the questions at the end if you want. Uh, we're more than happy to do that. We've just got a, we've got a script for the show. We run through the script as you can see here. Most people will see. Um, so we basically run with the script now. We are, you know we'll obviously put our own personal perspective on this, which is why I'm talking to about other things outside of this. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but but we have to ask, answer questions at the end. So if you've got, if you need to go, go. You'll get the questions at the end. We'll answer them. So just we'll, we'll look at the comments. Okay. So next one is obviously taking up uh, references and things. And thorough referencing is such a crucial part of setting up a tenancy to ensure that your tenant and any guarantors, if you've got them in place, uh, are suitable candidates and financially able to pay the rent. Um, and there's a few steps in this process which obviously make up the entire referencing um, step of a tenancy. Uh, first off, credit checks, uh, a report on a potential tenant's credit history, including any late payments, default yeah, yeah. notices like county court judgments, um, usually carried about by an external agency, um, carried out by an external agency. Um, you need the tenant's written consent to do this, obviously, first, and we get them to fill out applications and things to do that. But the credit check is an important part of this referencing step. You'd be amazed at how many credit check companies actually give you different information. Mm-hmm. And I only know that because I, you know, before I apply for lending from a corporate bank or anything like yeah. that, if I'm doing any projects, I just check my credit file beforehand and you get an option to check three different files and they have three different opinions on you and they have three different uh, uh, information that they can give over about you. So there's a, there's a, so it, it depends on what type of credit check you're getting 
in order to get that right thing. Now, I think we've got it sussed where yeah. we get the right information, as much information as possible, which gives us a, a good amount of feedback. But that's not the, that's not the only thing we will check. What are the other things that we'll check? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, your proof of income uh, is an important thing. Confirmation from a tenant's employer um, or their work um, of what their income is, often backed up with three or possibly even six month pay slips if, if they have that for. Um, and for self-employed tenants, get an accountant's reference um, or their latest uh, tax return uh, and or three or six months bank statements to review as well. Um, just so you could basically prove that they are being quite transparent about what their income is. Um, yeah. it's, it's really important, Richard. Here's here's one key to know you've maybe not got the right person applying for the property. If they object to this at this point yes. in time and, and don't see these it's, it's a red flag to you straight away. Don't try and accommodate this. If they're saying, why do you need to know all this? It's like, well, I'm giving you a house that's possibly £100,000. Uh, what are you giving me? A deposit of 500 quid, essentially. And you're just going to get a £100,000 house just like that. Of course I want to know if you can back that up. So it's it. there is requirements under data protection, and that's what, you're, that's what having the right referencing forms to get that data is important about. And it's all about compliance. Uh, and as a compliance officer for the company, who I am under data protection, mm -hmm. then I have to make sure that system's in place in order to comply with the legislation. A lot of private landlords don't know that because they don't use letting agents. So they just ask for that information, but they're actually not compliant with the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, income, yeah, I was just going to say income, obviously, a guarantor is a good thing yeah, as a backup. If, if people's income maybe is slightly under or maybe they're just on the cusp, uh, but you think, well, they could be a really good tenant, but you need that extra uh, security. Then a guarantor is someone who's prepared to guarantee the rent payments if the, pay yeah. the tenant cannot pay. Uh, a guarantor should also go through the income and credit check um, process as well. And this is where the guarantors we have to insist on now, even for people who are vulnerable. We've got no choice. The, the government's put us in, backed us into a corner and put legislation in place, which makes it absolutely impossible if anything goes wrong for us to, to remove the tenant without actually incurring possibly 12 months loss of rent. For example, what's happened recently for me. So basically I'm 12 months down and that's fine. I can take that hit. A single landlord on their own with one or two properties can't take that. So, so more or less now what it's done is it's caused a problem and the most vulnerable in society have actually suffered as a result of it. And homelessness has actually gone up to a record level for the, for the first time. It's at a record level with this government, presiding yeah. government. And did you know there's actually, the Thatcher government built more social housing in Scotland than the current government has since 2009? I didn't know that. <laughs> that's quite, I mean, I was going to say that's surprising, but... They've built 12% more social housing under the Thatcher government than the current SNP Green administration has done for the last since 2009. Oh my God, how embarrassing is that? They are presiding over the highest homelessness rate ever. And this is because of the legislation and the draconian legislation they've put in place. And private landlords are exiting like there's no tomorrow. And not even sitting on their hands and not even buying property to help people out now. And this is another sign as well as the fact that we've had to put guarantors on every single person. And somebody on universal credit really can't get a guarantor because yes, if anything more. happens, and not from the not from the tenant's point of view, if anything happens, if universal credit turn around one day and say we're not paying anymore, we've had it. We've got somebody in a property we've got no recourse against because they've got nothing. And that is the difficulty. They've only built, incidentally as well, just to jump back to the social housing issue, 
Do you know since 2009, the Scottish government, in the whole of Scotland, with a six million people, the Scottish government's only built 5,000 houses, social houses, every year. 5,000 for the whole of Scotland every year for the last 11 years. Did you think it was as low as that? I thought it'd be just 5,000 for Fife, let alone, <laughs> yeah. let alone the whole of Scotland. What record is that? That's appalling. Maybe they should focus on things more important in our society than the things that they're maybe focused on right now. Yeah. Like a roof over people's heads. Yeah, we're totally look after them. Like the proper accommodation. Do you think putting private landlords off is going to help homelessness or is going to hinder homelessness? Definitely going to hinder it. Yeah, absolutely. They don't get it. There's no joined up thinking up here. They don't see the bigger picture, how this all fits in on a long-term scale. They should have been building social housing years ago. And I'm not talking about housing associations. I'm talking about the government. I'm talking about the councils. You should have given them a funding for this. I've seen the deprivation over the years and the funding for the councils and the lack of funding in order to build housing, social housing, for them, specifically for them, and how they've been denied it all these years. We've no got the money. We've no got the money. Ah, but you'll spend money on needless crap that you're looking to do elsewhere. And it's not really important at this point in time. Not as important as a roof over somebody's head. It's homeless. Yeah. and looking after them and giving them the social care they need in order to get them back on track. But hey-ho, let's go and talk about things that are pie in the sky. It's it's not really that relevant just now. Eh? I, I, ooh, it makes my blood boil, Richard. It does make my blood boil. I know, I know. It's, we could see that. I know, but I totally agree. Cords, uh, we're going to overrun the hour anyway, so we can keep going because yeah. we're live streaming on everything anyway. So yeah, we've, that's uh, we've covered garden tours. Also, uh, identity check, and people might think, well, obviously that like I mean, to, you can include things like photo ID and passports and driver's license, um, and proof of address and things as well, just to obviously check who somebody is who they say they are. Now you, you might think that's silly, but then you could have somebody standing in front of you, and they might not actually be who they say they are. Um, so it is really important to check that, and the best way to do that is passport or driver's license. You're, you're, talking, uh, also, you're talking to a master at this. I could do this quite easily. Mm -hmm. I've seen this all over the years, where people have actually put a different photograph on their passport and actually scanned it and sent it over to you as if it's a real one. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a different, it's a different photograph on it because it's a scan. You don't realize, so you have to see the original. And even the original could be tampered with. These are the things that you've got to do. And then the credit check, obviously, we are going through backs up the identity, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And also then proof of, and it does, it locates the previous addresses and things. And then proof of your current address um, through a bank statement, utility bill, or some sort of membership or something. Not not mobile phone bills. Um, yeah. they, they, they are not accepted. This is how they get ghost, ghost tenants down in England. It happens quite a lot. Paul Champolina, our friend, Paul, yeah. uh, does it on landlords, nightmares, and tenants, and all the rest of it on Channel 5. And you'll see loads of shows there. Um, incidentally, this isn't, their, this isn't their representation of the true private rented sector. It's only the one-offs that you see for TV. But Paul does it, and, and there's people that move into properties. Uh, and they're not, even the, they're not even the same person as actually what they, who they said they were. They find this out later on, and then they find out the referencing wasn't done properly in the beginning. Uh, and the checks hadn't been done in order to happen because the landlord thought they could move them in. And then that's that tenant in with the bricks because it takes ages to get somebody out now. You can't really get them out that easily. And long gone are the days of the Rachmans and the Van Husenfelds. We just turned up and says, right, that's you out. <laughs> it's time to leave. <laughs> uh, you, you just can't, you can't do that. That's not, 
that's not appropriate, especially for somebody that's actually trying to get themselves back on tra- back on track. You know, you and then oh, I can get I can go on forever about this. Let's move on. Okay, uh, landlord references as well. That is a really important one. Uh, a statement from a tenant's existing landlord confirming whether the rent they have paid has been paid on time. Um, and and well looked after. I tell you what, though, if the landlord wants rid of them, I used to think if they're wanting rid of them, they'll just give them a good reference, won't they? I've seen that happen. I've caught landlords out with that. They've said, oh, no, nah, yeah, they're good and all the rest of it. And then I found out they've no paid their rent. Just because I've started to quiz the tenant a bit more and, and got their guard down and then realised it's like, wait a minute, you've not been paying your rent. You're, and it's like, and I'm thinking, they're just, they've just been at it to try and get rid of them because they don't want to go through the hassle of eviction. So they've just been saying, oh, yeah, they've, they've paid the rent on time. They're a really good tenant. And then they've just lumped them, onto, lumped them onto someone else. That's what they do. Now, there is legislation. The, 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 there is legislation that actually says if you give a, the wrong reference, if you give a reference which is, is deliberately malicious and manipulated and lying fundamentally under law, then you are liable for any repercussions that happens to that tenant, you, the person that you give the tenant the reference to. And I know that because when I did, I did legislation at, at, at college, in my in my accountancy course, we did uh, business law, and that actually came up as a as one where someone gave an employer's reference to a bank, and it was it was falsified, and they had to end the pay the, the repercussions of giving that false uh, one for them, uh, for that false reference. So we we're very very careful about the references we give. Sometimes we actually don't give a reference at all, but that obviously tells you straight away that if we're not giving a reference, there's something wrong. Because I won't, I won't give a reference to say the tenant's absolutely appalling and don't pay their rent on time and they're antisocial and all the rest of it. Because the first thing I found when I used to do that, when I used to speak to another landlord, they'd go straight to the tenant and confront them with it. And then they would come back to me and say, you told them. It's like, but you are. <laughs> but then you're at fighting talk at that time. So that's why I would just, that's why I used to just refuse giving a reference. And that, that I used to say to them, that, that'll tell you everything, the very fact I'm refusing. Um, like you say, it's interesting. Uh, over the years, I've had uh, I've actually had agents give me references, glowing references, which were untrue. Um, um, I mean, that's not something common that's happened, but it has happened in the past. So it's just to try and get rid of them, isn't it? Yeah. Getting the um, right help. Not, can I cover this one? Not everyone actually needs a managing agent. And if you're a full-time professional landlord and an experienced team around you, a tenant finding service may be all you need for mm-hmm. some people. Um, we've actually stopped doing tenant tenant finding service because it's not it's not economic and it's not cost effective. But if you're bu- but we can still give you advice on what to do and how to do that yourself if that's what you want to do. But if you're busy elsewhere or you prefer a more hands off, here's a quick rundown of the different levels of services letting agents actually provide. Your let only, which is basically your agent carries out the viewings, finds a tenant, takes the references, prepares your tenancy agreement and inventory, and then hands you everything over to you for you when the tenant moves in. That's it, done and dusted. Uh, you've also got the rent collection service as well. So rent collection service is uh, it's including everything from the let only option that we just spoke about. This service covers taking uh, uh, taking over rent the rent collection as well and chasing up late payments and getting things back on track. To be honest, Richard, it's something we don't do either. And it's for the fact that I know if we do the rent cre- rent collection service, we'll end up doing a fully managed. For you, the you won't end up just collecting the rent. You end up yeah, doing because I can't. I can't just let our reputation sink on the fact that we're only collecting the rent and turn around and someone says, "But you only got us to collect the rent," when it's actually going pear shaped, maybe, or we need to get a tenant back on track. 
it's then left to us to do that and it's like well wait a minute we're, we're full management then we're doing now and what you're actually getting away with paying rent collection so yeah. full management is really what we do and the full management agent handles everything including safety checks for gas electricity smoke alarms repairs improvements emergencies mid-tenancy inspections dealing with disputes serving notice geez dealing with disputes wow that could that eats up all your time serving notice and helping you get your property back hence the reason why we want to find the best tenants because we don't want to deal with disputes further down the line why on earth would an agency want to take on a tenant it could be problematic and show signs are problematic in the beginning if it's going to lead to having all these disputes further down with so a neighbor, with a tenant themselves, with their partners, maybe even with their entourage that comes with them. Because a lot of them, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth, if you remember that expression. And then they move in and the entourage appears. And then you go, oh my God. But I wouldn't have melt in his mouth. He was in one of our other properties and says, look, we can downsize it to this one, move it to that one. The entourage appeared. I don't know why, because they weren't at the other one anyway, but they obviously appeared. Maybe it was a jealousy thing, and they thought, we'll just destroy your property so you lose your tenancy. And that's effectively what they did. That's what happened. Again, I come back to saying, I can take that hit. Get a proper insurance for it as well. That's important. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And that makes sure that's happened. Uh, and that's taken care of as well. I, I mean, we we do a lot of stuff. I'll be honest, Richard, and I've told you about this before. Will you stop doing these things? Because that is not part of a full management service. That is an additional cost. And you're doing all these things for free. And, and we can't run a business for free on fresh air. Uh it's something that we do, though, isn't it? Just just to make sure. And a lot of people don't realise that's what happens. It's, it's, hard, it's hard for me sometimes to look at a situation and think, well, that's, I mean, the worst yeah. response. That's not my job or that's not for me to do. Do you know what I mean? When I know... You know by you stepping in, the tenant's well-being will be looked after. Yeah. Just by you stepping in. And even though the landlord doesn't want to pay for that, by you stepping in, that protects the tenant more than anything. And there is times where I've actually stepped in myself and I actually advised the tenant what to do and then they've taken the landlord to task. And, and I'll be open and honest about that. That's only one or two times in the whole 30 years I've actually been doing this. I've had to do that because I felt that the landlord was, wasn't living up to the legal obligations for under the, stand, under the Tenant Repair and Improvement Act. Um, and, and I think that was the most important thing to do, to advise the tenant what they should be doing. So it, it works both ways. We will look after the tenant's interests just as much as we will look after the landlord's. We're primarily there to look after the landlord's interests, and this is what we do. But on obligations of, of sometimes once in a blue moon, well, we will look after the tenant's interests for that very reason, because uh, we don't want to see that happen to them. So full management service encompasses everything and anything. And I tell you, it's worth its weight in gold for somebody that's a professional. Or somebody that's not hands-on and doesn't want to learn the legislation back to front, over the 150 pieces of legislation, when it goes wrong for them horribly as well, they've got somebody else that can step in and do that for them. That's what we do. We we solve these problems. You, It's more or less, I usually say to most people, you think it's all going swimmingly well and you think, oh, maybe I should take it back because it's all going well. I should maybe just take my property back. But what you're actually paying for us is an insurance policy. This is an insurance as to when it really goes disastrously, disastrously wrong, you can guarantee that we'll spend a huge amount of hours sorting this out 
as opposed to the as opposed to the nominal paltry fifty or sixty quid you maybe paid us for the month to look after that. That's the reality. This is an insurance policy to to make sure you've got the right people in the right place for when things do go wrong. That's why you have a letting agent for when it goes horribly wrong. You know that somebody can actually solve this problem as quick as possible and get down that avenue and get that resolution, rather than having somebody that goes. I'm not really sure what to do. Uh, oh, have it back. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important. And then that, that's, when, that's when they come to us, isn't it? And then they come to us and go, it's all going disastrously wrong. I went, well, you should have picked us in the first place. And and I am not, and by the way, we are not solving your problem for you. We'll, we'll point in the right direction and tell the right people to go to, but you should have come to us in the first place if that was the case. And a lot of people do then begin to realise that and go, go elsewhere. It's like, you know, the grass is always greener. We've had that as well. If people think the grass is always greener, it's like you're just not running my property right. This is once in a blue moon as well. But then they leave somebody, they go to somebody else, and they think, "Oh my God, you guys were blooming geniuses at doing what you were doing." <laughs> Don't yeah, like, as as the thing like um, the grass isn't always greener sometimes. I've had that on occasion. Of it isn't. Yeah. But got, I mean, I think I think the important thing is here, and I don't. Again, I'll come back and, I'll, and I'm going to blow one trumpet here, Richard. You've got somebody here who's got a track record in this for 30 years, is still actively investing right now, still at the forefront of housing politics in Scotland, still got the finger on the pulse of everything. You've got a team that backs all that up as well, where you yourself, Richard, you've learned from me all these years and you still learn. This is why you do the shows with me right now, to learn every single time and, and, and improve your skills every single time. You don't. You've not got anybody like that in the whole of Scotland, if not the whole of the whole of the UK. Yeah, I've yet to see agents do what we do. It's the it's the experience and track record that you pay for. It's mm -hmm. not. It's not somebody to manage the property. It's the experience and track record of if anything goes wrong, you know you've got the right people in place to solve that problem as quick as possible and navigate you through that path. That's the most important thing that you're paying for in a letting agent. It's not somebody that starts tomorrow. It's been your best pal for years, and you think, I'm going to use their business because it's my obligation. I'll lose no, your money. you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire, really, because you've got huge amounts of legislation to contend with. As I say, I think if you're not sure what's right, I mean, think to yourself whether can you be calm in a crisis? Um, are you up to uh, date with Letton's law? Um, are you do you are you time rich? Do you have a circle of like trusted contractors? And likelihood is probably you don't have all these things. Um, uh, and if, if so, I think putting a managing agent in place is so important. Um, and I think you will obviously thank yourself in the long run for that. Look at the landlords that are, are, we've got just now that are meant to be coming on with us that are trying to do their their own repairs and improvements themselves. And look at the amount, because I, I monitor it about the lost rent. You see that in the reports, the lost rent of the jobs that are people still waiting to come back to us and come on with us. I'm looking at the lost rent they've got of taking the time, because they say, we're starting in uh, January, for example. And it's mm -hmm. like, so when did, they, when did they say they're going to be finished these works to get this property back on the market? And they usually say, oh, we're going to be finished in, you know, the end of March. Okay. So, right. Okay. That's the timeline, end of March. And then we start monetizing the lost rent when it goes beyond March. And, and some of these landlords are a year down the line. Yeah. You've lost £6,000 trying to do it yourself. Are you an idiot? <laughs> Honestly. There's a few like that. It's the, height of, it's the height of stupidity. 
doing the same thing time day in day out and expecting a different result. Yeah. It's sheer stupidity, Richard. And it's all it's commercial. You know, just no commercial argument with them at all. It's like they're six thousand pound down the road and losses. Plus the fact you'll be paying the council tax because you're out of your six month and twelve month period of your, of your refurbishing, and you'll probably be paying double council tax because it's not for sale. So you're paying another two hundred quid a month. So it's not just that; it's another two and a half thousand pound a year in council tax, if not more, probably more actually. So you're paying your council tax on top of that. So you're probably losing ten thousand pounds so far. And you're thinking doing it yourself and trying to get the repairs and improvements all sorted out yourself is going to actually save you money. Because you're going to get really good contractors that's going to charge you cheap fees. And, and it's like you can't find them. Because every single time, what's the first thing they say? I just can't get the people to do the job. And you're losing money hand over fist, but they don't realise the potential loss that they're having for that very reason. That's why it's important to have the right lighting engine with the right contacts that's been in this, had a track record that understands the commercial reality of being in the property investment business. That 6000 to £10,000 you've just lost is a tenant's kitchen, bathroom, and possibly heating system. Well, we bit extra on top of it. Yeah. You've lost that for the tenant as a landlord because you failed to get your property back into the market as quick as possible. Plus the fact somebody's been homeless possibly for a year because your property hasn't been available to them. Because there's a lot of space on their hands right now. Think about that as a landlord. If you're managing them yourself, really think about that. The amount of money you're losing and the potential that that person, somebody out there, needs your property. And you're still dabbling about this. If you treat this like a hobby, you will get a hobby income. That's the thing that I've always been told by my mentors. You think about this, you think about anything you're doing. If you treat it like a hobby, you'll get a hobby income. You have to speak to the experts. You have to know what to do next. Let's wrap up. Um, well, as I say, Jim, the, the blog has my contact details in it. So anything that we've covered today, please, my number's in there, my, my direct email's in there. Everybody can come to me. This is just part one. So we'll do part two in the next letting show. Um, yep. Let's see if we've got any questions on TikTok because the TikTokers are the ones that always go for it. What's your view on market prices this year? Uh, market prices, pretty good. In terms of house prices, pretty good still. You know, um, you get the doom and gloom of the Halifax and the Nationwide saying, oh, property prices have dropped for the sixth or seventh month in a row. And it's like, well, if you look at the land registry, property prices haven't really dropped that much for that period of time. I think it's 0.1% they dropped one month. And everybody was henny penny and the world was falling in. And it's like it's only dropped one point one percent. That's nothing. Point one percent of two hundred thousand pounds is two hundred quid or something. Mm-hmm. I've lost two hundred pounds in my house price. It's like you've not even sold it yet. <laughs> it's like uh, same with rental values. Rental values are quite low as they're actually quite low as well. I mean, this misconception about rental prices have gone up astronomically since you know, last year or something like that. It's, they've, they've gone up less than inflation. In the last year, the rental prices have actually gone up 4%. Inflation's gone up 10 Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, government. <laughs> you might to stick that in your pipe and smoke it. That's an old phrase, eh? Anyway, let's, let's move on and see if we've got anything else. Uh, about, about bad landlords, why? I don't know who said that and what they mean by that. But I tell you what, the Scot- the, no, the UK government did a survey 
they know how many landlords are actually bad landlords in their opinion. And I've got these statistics, okay? And they've shared them with me, the UK government, and the think tank actually supplies these statistics. So they shared these statistics with me when we asked about who do you deem as bad landlords? They gave me that number, and then I compared against the 2 million landlords that were there, and that that percentage proportion represented 0.005% of the landlord population. Not 5%, 0.005%. Less than half of half of a half a percent. That's how many bad landlords the government think there is out there. That's appalling, isn't it? To have that statistic, and yet we're all castigated and tarred and feathered as bad landlords. Living rent, I'm not really sure what that is. Tenant, living rent, whatever that is. We we actually charge really affordable rents, and often we charge under uh, the, the actual market rents uh, for, for our tenants. So I, I, I don't... When people talk about living rents, I would happily put it up to the living rent because <laughs> it's probably more than what I'm charging right now. <laughs> more than likely, eh? <laughs> so I'm happy yeah, to put it up to the living rent if anybody wants. Uh, but I'm not charging that. I charge probably uh, significantly less than market rents. I want to evict my tenant. This is Jenny, uh, Jerry of, uh, of the Jerry the Fruit. AKA grapes, no idea. <laughs> it's a TikTok <laughs> name. I want to evict my tenant as I want to sell my house. Uh, will the tribunal rubber stamp this? Richard. Well, and in the current situation, if you want to sell the property, the only way to do that is if you can prove financial hardship. Um, yeah. And you'll you need to go through that process with the tribunal. If you could you have you have the evidence and prove that you need to sell this property due to financial hardship, then they will rubber stamp it. But you need to have the right evidence and be able to prove that without a doubt. You not just sell a property for look, I'm wanting to sell it now, or or of the stock that just now. At the moment, no. Wow, wow, that's that's quite frightening considering the the position you're in. If you want to sell the property, it's like so you're tied in. And this is unless why, unless you can prove that you need to sell the property for a financial reason yeah. uh, or financial hardship. And this is why I this is why I say this is why. A lot of landlords or investors don't want to enter this market, and some are actually exiting the market when when they become, you know, when the properties become empty. Because what's happening is that they're, they're in this position where they want to sell it because they maybe want to they maybe want to pay off their own mortgage. Now that maybe no demonstrating financial hardship, but it's maybe a choice for them, and it's maybe it's at the peak of the market where selling it just now will get them the best price, mm-hmm. and they want to decide to do that. But this legislation stops them doing that, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could you can still serve notice on your tenant, um, yeah. and if they accept it and think right, okay, then and they want to, but if, if they don't, then obviously uh, you're not. If they don't, then you've got to apply. Yeah. You've got to apply because most tenants, when you serve notice them, it's very rare you actually serve notice on a tenant anyway. It's only really it's only the last resort. But if you are selling the property uh, and you do serve notice on a tenant and say, look, I'm selling the property. Most tenants won't go to a tribunal. They'll just say, "Yeah, that's okay. I'll go and find another rental." Yeah, um, and you have to, you have to, you have to come and go with them because sometimes it's quite difficult, especially in these new to find another property, and they want to continue living in these new. Often over a, maybe about five or six months, that can actually happen. They do find somebody else because it's natural, you know, cycle of people leaving and, and and filling properties. They will then find it, and then so you've got a bit of tolerance and degree of tolerance. Then you, you're happy to wait. And negotiate with the tenant and say, yeah, and come and go with them. 
then yeah, that that that, that could usually happen. So uh, it's not the case. I would say to you, it's not the case. Uh, it's not the case that you automatically apply to the tribunal and the, you want to evict them. It's the case that you have a discussion with a tenant and say, "Look, I, just, I, I want to sell the property. I need to sell it." And most tenants will actually say, "Yeah, that's fine then." If you've got a good relationship with your tenant and you have that sit down conversation with them and say, look, this is what I'm, I'm planning to do. I need to sell my property. Yeah. And, and do you know what I mean? And then get that agreement from them rather than just let's put a notice through the door and uh, you have to leave. I want to sell. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've got somebody that says get a real job. What, like a, like a social yeah. media personality? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a real job. Yes. <laughs> get a real job. I've been doing a real job for all my life. Running several manufacturing companies as a financial director and financial controller is a real job. Running multiple companies as a managing director is a real job. Employing 15, 20 people and then all the ancillary employment actually as a result of what we do and the people with contractors we get in is a real job. And I would ask you, it says, get a real job. What are you doing? Do do? I was just going to say, it's interesting to see what they do. How many tenants are you helping on a daily basis live and manage their life as it happens? How many charities are you helping? How many people in your community are you helping? Then you could say, get a real job. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, I think the expression is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's say. MS, you got a real job. You wouldn't need to, you wouldn't need to rent. <laughs> Jerry the fruit says if you've got a real job, you wouldn't need to rent. That's she responds. That's a harsh response. Harsh response, Jerry. But, that's a bit, but, yeah. You know, I, I can't help it if somebody says get a real job, couldn't it? Um great philosophy. Thank you very much for that. That was about we talked about, you know, your your tenants more important than your holiday yeah. or your car. That good. Father Wisdom's got to go. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, and thanks for saying about Roger Cook. Uh, just go through some. Uh, I no problem. Landlord of the year. <laughs> actually, talking about landlord of the year, I was actually Fife Council's uh, first approved private landlord, Chattermat. We actually helped set up that that scheme, and that scheme later rolled out to landlord accreditation and letting agent accreditation from Fife Council. They actually had the blueprint for this in Scotland. Uh, also first letting agent accredited by Fife Council as well um, when it was when it was in place. So these were upgraded into the uh, the Scottish government and actually that's how accreditation came about because yeah. of Fife Council and because of the involvement in them that, that we had in that in that process. So they took that template, Edinburgh ran with it to begin with and then obviously when Edinburgh Council gets it, then the Scottish government hears about it and that's how it all came about. So, you know, thanks very much. Who wants to stay in Fife, Richard? God's country. Fife's God's country, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It's like, my God, I could take you anywhere in Fife and show you some wonderful places that you've never seen before. And you'll be breathy. See the cliffs in Ely and Errolsbury. That's the cliffs that you go down to the golf course in the Fife yeah. Coastal Path and you go up there with all gun armaments used to be for the, you know, the, to protect the coastline and the wars um, and the, the battle, the battalions in the back and everything like that. It's like, you see these i've got sweeping drone footage coming into that and the music you put in it you could just put jurassic park music on it and you'd think you're actually in a feature film you think this is the opening to a feature film the way that looks remember a lot of people are, you know outlanders filmed here as well who wants to live in fife wait a minute everything you see in outlander 
So oh, I think it's that, a question. Is that actually Fife? Is that actual question? Yep, it's Fortland, it's Dyser, it's everywhere like that. Uh, oh, hi, hi, Nick. <laughs> if you're still watching, maybe he's disappeared by now. Nick Ponte okay. of the Scottish Property Podcast here. Um, is buy to let still worth it with high interest rates? Actually, that's a really good question. We're going to finish off on that. We'll be doing yep. a midweek show about this. Is buy to let really worth it? So we'll be putting mm -hmm. that up uh, soon. Um, yeah. We'll be putting we're putting all the scripts together right now for this midweek show and the articles, uh, but we will be doing a, a midweek show, Richard and I, about is buy to let really still worth it. We're also yeah. doing the wealthcation show on Monday, uh, yeah. okay. I'll still be talking about how I lost my first million <laughs> and how that came about. Tell you what, you'll learn more lessons out of losing a million than you will actually getting a million. Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, so I talked about my first million, how I made it, and then I'm then now I'm talking about how I lost my first million. Yeah, um, and, and all that. So 12:30 Wealthcation show, and we'll be live on TikTok as well, Instagram, and the social media channels as well, right here. Um, yeah. And that's it, Richard. Yeah, thanks for much. Good, Jim. Thanks. Um, good job. Thanks for joining in. Overran quite a bit, but I think I think this is more more to give people good uh, good content, good information. Let them have a chance to get their feedback and, and information yeah. as well. Um, thanks very much for getting me on the show, Richard. Yeah, thanks, Jim. And thanks everybody for watching. Bye bye. Bye bye from him. Her.